Today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. It's not by coincidence that we get the teeth at the same time we start walking. Teeth are the neurological body's biological investment, part of the biological investment for being upright. Because the teeth, as they come together, they are the neurological organs. As I was showing, the teeth are making the connection of our lower jaw happen to the top and the rest of the skull. So as they come in, they're going to communicate to the brain and they help development of the brain where the mandible is. And the mandible will communicate to the brain where the head is, where the neck is. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. And today I'm talking with Dr. Bahara Smiley, who is an uber passionate holistic dentist focusing on airway management and TMJ. We talked at length about childhood development of our jaw and facial structures and how that can absolutely impact our health in our adult life. Parents, you're gonna wanna listen to this one. Before we get started though, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. If you are an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you're placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 30 different labs in one single place for free. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. If you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's start the show. Dr. Smiley, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I am so excited to talk to you today because we are going to talk all about dysfunctional breathing, the anatomy of the jaw, neurology, just physiology, and how it all ties together. And I think you are just really going to blow people away with the information you're going to present coming from holistic dentistry. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Carrie, for having me. I'm excited to present my information the last four years of my practice concentration to this podcast. I'm hoping it is going to get to the right ear, doctor, patient, moms, parent, grandparents, whomever that can use it. And if you hear something in here that resonates with you, don't keep a good thing to yourself. I'm hoping that they will pass this on. There's not enough information out there about what I'm going to talk about. Oh my gosh. Yes. Amen to that. Well, but actually, before we get started into the big questions, why don't you let everybody know if they don't know who you are already? Like, who are you? How did you get into this? What do you stand for? Yeah. Well, I was born and raised in Iran. I came to United States about 23 years ago. So more than half of my life, I have lived here and wanted to be a doctor. So went into dental school, been a dentist for about 13 years now. But about 10 years ago, sorry, three years ago, 10 years into dentistry, I wanted to be the five-star dentist and look at the whole body and be the best cosmetic dentist and treating teeth. So what really got me into it after I started treating single tooth at a time for the longest time, and that's pretty much what our, all of our journey is. When we go through traditional trainings, when we come out, they don't teach us head-to-toe analysis of the body or anything. So long as you know how to repair the tooth, you're good to go. And three years ago, more like four, I decided that I want to look beyond just the arches and the teeth, and I started looking at the temporal mandible joint. That's when my career just took a completely different turn. So I wanted to learn as much there is, and I want to be specialist in training temporal mandible joints. I was seeing a lot of younger patients, even younger as age of like 12s and 13s. I practiced across, I used to practice across universities. So I saw a lot of younger patients, freshmen coming out, and they have all the same similar disorders. So it got me to thinking, what can I do differently for this population instead of letting them to be 56 years old before we treat them? The more I learned about TMJ, Gary, the more I saw airway, the more I saw posture, the more I saw the whole body. So that Pandora box that everybody talks about got me sucked in. I spent three years going from one CE to another, from study club to another, books and articles, not leaving any stones unturned. And what I started doing two years ago during pandemic, when my dental practice came to a screeching halt, just like most other dental practices out there, I decided to write down what it is I want to do when I grow up. because. For two months, nobody expected me to be anywhere. And be honest with you, I was pretty tired of doing dentistry. It was mind-numbing, repairing teeth and not knowing what's breaking them, 
the disease management and not knowing where it's coming from. So when I rolled my heart out on a piece of paper as a mission statement, nowhere was on it that I want to be a dentist. I want to be a physician of head and neck. I want to heal the patient. And I started seeing the connection and the dots that I've been seeing for a few years. So long and the short of it is about two years ago, I started shifting completely out of clinical dentistry into airway and TMJ exclusively. And I'm happy to report two years later, 200 plus patients that I've treated, collaboration with physical therapists, functional medicine, neurologists, psychologists. I started really seeing the important role that dentists play in recognizing the whole body and understanding how little we're doing about it. I took it on my mission to go and put this information out there for as many doctors and patients as I can. I can keep a good thing to myself. So <laughs> I can be here giving a glimpse of it here to this group. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love your passion so much. And for those who are listening, she has a lot of content out there. You can watch a lot of video interviews of her as she's talking about this and you can hear her passion come through every single time. And I know TMJ is a really big deal. A lot of people just casually mention it. Like it's no big deal. Oh, I have TMJ. Yeah. Oh, I have that. Oh, I struggle with that. And it's like, and like dot, 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 where are you doing anything about it? No, 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 no. I've been diagnosed, but and some people maybe have a guard or some people maybe do something. But for those who are listening, let's start there before we get into airway. Like what is TMJ? And for those who maybe don't know, what symptoms should we look for for the average listener to go, ah, oh, crap, I think that's me. Yeah. So Carrie, temporal mandible joint is what I like to call a hinge of the body to the head. I have my handy dandy skull here. <laughs> she comes prepared, everyone. I come prepared. So one of the things I like to show is, watch, we have 22 bones in our head. Mandible is not included. Mandible is our lower jaw. All the bones, including our upper jaw and skull and all of them are connected to each other. This bone is not a part of our head. Matter of fact, it's connected with a bunch of muscles and ligaments and it has an articulating joint right here, pretty much like your elbow and knee to the head. But watch, there is magnets sitting on the teeth. So the only connection of this bone to the head is those magnets. There you go. Now we have it's a part of the head. The question I have for everybody that has a temporomandible joint problem and they think it's coming from their mouth and their teeth. We were not born with teeth. We didn't have teeth when we were born. We did have jaws. We had the skull and everything else. This is what I started seeing, which completely changed my course as a dentist. I don't think anyone can treat this condition just by looking at a guard or something that we can insert in between the teeth. Because teeth, and I love a good analogy, I love analogies and stories because it teaches people things that they can never forget. I call teeth children in the family. The top jaw, our maxilla, the roof of our mouth, is kind of like, let's say, one of the parents, for sake of argument, the dad. And mandible, the mom. So those two bones are carrying the children together. And each one of them have their own family. The rest of the skull is kind of connected to the top jaw and lower jaw is connected to the neck and the spine and the hip and the rest of the body. When people get married, ideally, there's no children in their mix in an ideal situation. The teeth come into the equation way later. So if let's say your upper jaw is far back or lower jaw is far forward or the other way around and or that the lower jaw is stuck back in here, which I'm not going to get into the reasons as to why, when the teeth come into the mouth, and they are guiding the body to be upright, they're not going to have a perfect place to come in. They're going to come in crooked. They're going to come in retruded and in a deep bite and a cross bite. They're not going to be perfect. And they're going to get so much of those bite forces straight banging on them. Then they get recessions and we get cracked teeth and you get pain on the teeth, especially the ones that are on the far back. Just like children, they can make their own decision. They're not in charge of their own fate. They're in charge of, they are basically at the mercy of the system and the forces in the system that controls them. So as a dentist, I used to be in charge of just the teeth, but I decided I want to make body a better host for those teeth, a better family for the teeth and the gum tissue that support them. When I start uprighting the body, putting the skull help with the help of physical therapists, chiropractors in the right syntax, we help put the head over the spine where they can breathe and swallow and balance correctly. Those forces that hammer the teeth, they start to get reduced and sometimes completely be eliminated and reduce the symptoms. The reason why I love this analogy, Carrie, is that this hinge that I just referred to, the position of it is extremely connected to our neck. Basically, the hinge of our jaw is directly aligned 
with the two first two vertebrae in our neck. And all of those muscles that are making the hinge of the jaw happen, they are directly affected by the position of the lower jaw. So if the lower jaw is far back or is hiding under the top jaw because of lack of growth or tongue positions, now you have a neck issue. Now you have an entire spine issue and a posture that's lumbar and curvature of the spine that's not in the right place that affects all the other functions. What happens if your rib cage is caved in? All the organs are not functioning. So come back to functional medicine and digestive tract. What's going to happen to the function of all the organs that are not encapsulated? Basically, things trickle from top down. And one thing I mentioned was the teeth come into the mouth as a neurological organ. Let's just ask a question. And I want you to answer that. When do the kids get the first two teeth? And if you don't have children, you don't know that. But just take, <laughs> take a wild guess. What is the, when is the timing of the eruption of the first two teeth in the mouth? It's usually the lower. Like usually, I mean, before one, right? So six, six months, you're right. Six to 10 months. Six to nine. Yeah, that's what I would have guessed. And what else happened at that time? They're switching, generally, if they're breastfeeding. Well, actually, well, that too. And also they start uprighting. They start to grab two things and stand upright. It's not by coincidence that we get the teeth at the same time we start walking. Teeth are the neurological body's biological investment, part of the biological investment for being upright. Because the teeth, as they come together, they are the neurological organs, as I was showing, the teeth are making the connection of our lower jaw happen to the top and the rest of the skull. So as they come in, they're going to communicate to the brain and they help development of the brain where the mandible is. And the mandible will communicate to the brain where the head is, where the neck is. This is important because we know those neurological connection between the teeth and the skull and the brain and developmentally, posturally, they're super important. And when we're looking at children's mouth, and this is where I really hope this gets to the ears of someone who's not been looking at, and if they're a doctor, it could be a medical doctor, it could be a chiropractor, looking at children's teeth and their jaws are so small and far back and their mouth is propped open and they are breathing through their mouth. Those are dysfunctional bones and skull and underdevelopment of their bones that are carrying the teeth and are helping them function. And if they're not growing and those teeth will tell you, they will tell you that my the system in which I'm growing and coming in is not working correctly. And if you're looking at those signals, we'll find out this child needs help. And we're going to get into what it is, but this is just the background of the wiring of our body, just a little drone view. My temporomandible joint is not a joint issue. It's a whole total body issue. And nobody teaches this. Even as parents, when your kids are growing up, like everyone in their friend group has had somebody who's had to have teeth removed, right? Because their, their mouth is too small. Everyone, somebody's had braces or is wearing Invisaligns and all these things. Everyone is tooth, tooth, tooth focused. And when you mention jaw forward, jaw back, jaw crossbite, so many, you know, people listening to this are going, that's me, that's my sister. Oh, my brother had that. My current child has that. I hear this every day, Carrie. Parents asking me, I look at their children's teeth and they say, well, do I need to get braces on them? And I, my question always is, we put the teeth, let's say we get them straightened out, but if we have a small mouth to begin with, that's a disorder with breathing because where's the tongue going to fit in the roof of the mouth? And that's the organ that if it's not functioning correctly, if position of the jaws are not in the right place, if the tongue is not functioning properly, which for those who don't know, why have I been bringing the tongue into the mix? Well, tongue is one of the most important organs in our, believe it or not, it's the second muscle in the gestation when the baby is forming. It's a second muscle to heart that forms. It carries five of our nerves in our head attached to it. I don't know if there's any organ that has that much power to it. And it has control over our entire function than the tongue itself. It's a respiratory muscle. Now, a proper position of the tongue is at the roof of the mouth, not hanging low, not when you're swallowing, the tongue should not be pushing against the teeth. It should go straight to the roof of the mouth. And to be exact, there's a little bump behind the two front teeth. The tip of the tongue should be in contact with that place. The entire body of the tongue should be in contact full contact with the roof of the mouth when you're swallowing. In essence, your teeth should not be touching your tongue when you swallow. How many people knew that? I'm going to guess not very many. How many people right now are swallowing? Where's my tongue? Where's that bump? (laughs) I know. And if you're using your lips to swallow and your cheeks to swallow, they move your teeth around. 
Those are the forces controlling the position of the teeth. Just like I said, the family controls the children, muscles in the body and the jaws and their relationship controls the teeth. So the crooked teeth are telling us something. Crooked teeth belong to crooked bodies. Straight teeth work only on straight bodies. So if a body is not upright, if the bones are not correctly, bones in the hand, mouth, the jaws are not developing correctly, there is not enough room for the teeth to come in and the muscles will move them around so that functions now that are suffering. The swallowing is one of the most important functions because every swallow, and we do it about 2,000 times a day, will stabilize the mandible against the skull and transfer all these forces through the skull down all the way to the tailbone. So if the swallow is dysfunctional, it will give the brain a wrong message that something is wrong. So it's talking about, speaking of TMD disorders, what are the neurological issues that come out with patients that have issues with the size of their jaw, with the position of their neck and jaw when they are swallowing? And that's the function we do without even knowing. It's completely voluntary. This contact of the teeth, as we already spoke, there is neurological wiring between the teeth and the brain. The contact of the teeth will tell the brain, this is not a functional, correct place to be. So if the mandible is tucked underneath of an underdeveloped maxilla, which I'm going to get to what that means, maxilla, I keep referring to it as maxilla, the top jaw, the roof of the mouth. When it's underneath of that small upper jaw, it's going to push right against the airway. So the tongue in the soft palate is going to make the space behind the tongue really narrow. Well, we can't breathe that way. Brain needs oxygen. Our bodies need oxygen. So in essence, the head goes in a forward posture to compensate. Now we have a second problem. Not only we are not swallowing correctly, our breathing is dysfunctional. Now we have a neck issue. And every dimension that the head is in front of the spine, the shoulders have to go into a round position to support this 12-pound medicine ball. And that would affect the curvature right from here all the way down to the lumbar spine or the bottom of the spine. So are you seeing this connection now? One problem to the next, like a tip of the iceberg. Now I'm going to just touch on the maxilla, the top jaw. Why even we're talking about that? What is the role of that? That's a part of our face that is basically the dimensional part of our face that grow with function. Between ages four and four to seven is when the faces of children start drastically changing. Face of a seven-year-old is not that much different than an adult, but a newborn and a four-year-old, you're going to see majority of the growth in right here between the nose and the middle of the face in the forward direction happens between four and seven. Well, it doesn't happen automatically. Everything we have for growth is in our genes. We have the genetic coding in us, but what makes it happen is the environment, the functions. We have eyes when we're born. If you put blinds and cover the eyes when a kid is born, then we're going to develop that neurological connections and they're going to go blind. It's not that we don't have the genetic to grow in that direction. It requires an environmental factors to help it happen. What are the environmental factors that makes the jaw grow in the right direction? Chewing functions, swallowing and putting the tongue in the proper posture at the roof of the mouth with every swallow, breathing through the nose. Because if you think of the palate, it's like a dome. It's the same real estate as the roof of the mouth as it is the floor of the nose. So if you put the tongue at the roof of the mouth with swallowing and breathing and lips are closed together, we can breathe through the nose. So that dome shape forms. That's a nice broad U-shape arch that has room for 32 teeth. Another thing that helps with the development of that is breastfeeding. When the children, the babies are breastfeeding, the pressure of the tongue against the breast tissue, against the palate, it's going to pull the face forward and allow the child to extract the milk and also help them with breathing so that it's just where their face can develop. Problem is lack of breastfeeding or a condition called tongue tie would be able to jail them from doing that. So you see how they're kind of off to a wrong foot? So the child now, by the time they're six months old, now they have to stand up and they're getting teeth. The teeth are going to come in, whether we like it or not. And when there's not enough room in the mouth because they did not have all the prerequisites of the growth, now they have a tiny jaw and a tiny jaw that's stuck back because if the roof, which is the maxilla, doesn't go forward, the lower jaw is going to be stuck right underneath of it. And now all the tongue and the palate and the soft tissue is going to be pushed against the airway. Standing up and breathing is difficult for that child. Now we have this one problem becomes the second problem. We have the third and the fourth problem and kind of leading on to. So I'm hoping this is a starting to make a little bit of a sense. <laughs> This is hitting home for a lot of people. I mean, I'm listening to this in complete fascination. Again, just because of 
the, let's say, complaints, signs, and symptoms that my patients have brought me, listening to things in my friend group, myself growing up, teeth issues, jaw issues, TMJ, et cetera. And because so little is discussed about it other than it's common, but we know common doesn't mean normal, people just go on their life and they adapt. So now they hit adulthood with jaw problems, with breathing problems, with back problems, with headaches, with like, and it goes on and on and on because it's all connected, not realizing everything you're saying right now. Well, the fact is you hit the nail in the head, Carrie. You said adapted. You use the magic word. Our autonomic nervous system knows how to survive. Our brain stem knows how to survive. So if you're not breathing correctly, it will find a way to make you breathe at a certain cost. I call mouth breathing a financed breathing. Why is it financed? Because you're paying a huge orthopedic neurological dues for that breath. And this is where symmetry and posture comes in. When your posture is compromised for something that is happening automatically, if you don't breathe for three minutes, we're we're not going to make it. We know that. So brain is not thinking long-term what's going to happen to the neck and the posture and all this. I need that oxygen. I need it now. I need to stand upright. I need to balance and breathe at the same time. So (laughs) survival is the name of the game. You know what I say? Our brain is meant to save us. It will kill us to save us. Not in the short term, but in the long term. So we make it to some people have a large adaptive zone. We call it allostatic load. I'm sure you're familiar with that term. The body's way of being okay with not being okay. What can I take before I break? That's what I call allostatic load. And when you're out of alignment, our bodies were not meant to be out of alignment, but when under development of certain areas will force our nervous system to push us into directions that will make those functions happen. Now we are out of alignment that would not be sending signals to the brain that I'm in pain. If you pull on your finger right now, it will hurt. If you think about it, why is it that we're so out of alignment? Some people are just, their head is completely over here and shifted and forward in the the front. Why is it that they're not in pain? Well, they are. We all are in pain when we are out of alignment. The difference is the brain has found a way to mask that. And the way that it would mask that, it would use neurotransmitters and pathways to block that pain in the spinal cord from going to the brain. Those pathways utilize things like serotonin, rapinephrine, and those are basically hormones that are not meant to be constantly used for masking a pain. It's almost like for emergency, we need to methylate the norepinephrine to epinephrine, right? Because we have a fight or flight response, but we're exhausting all that norepinephrine for masking the pain. That's not going to go away because our brain is going to be screaming from all this misalignment. And what's going to be the substitute for that? Cortisol is a perfect substitute. So brain resorts to pathways to make cortisol, HPA axis. If you're looking at the whole stress hormones, adrenal fatigue, these are the things, those are secondary systems that kick in to compensate, to compensate, to compensate. And you see the orthopedic functional problems now leading into metabolic issues, neurotransmitter issues. We haven't even touched the microbiome that gets affected because of all the sympathetic overdrive. Basically, our body's sympathetic turns on, activate the inflammation, which results or leads to immune responses. And this never turns off. And we have a system that's in inflammation constantly, not being able to breathe. And the kink was not being able to get the air passively from the nose to the lung. And why are we not looking at that? Well, Carrie, I tell you, they did not teach any of us this in dental school. They're still not. And it's almost like to the effect that doctors' curiosity to learn more is what dictates the level because doctors treat to the level of their knowledge. They've been curious to learn. So I think it's safe to say that I've fallen into the deep end of my <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. I know. I'm having so much fun with it. Because I know that when I look at people as a whole, as a system, as an intricate machinery, I'm not excited about treating it anymore. I'm all excited about solving it like a puzzle. How can I put this together? And my, it's exciting when you're talking to other professionals that see things from a different perspective and to make sense of it. I mean, when you're looking at the blood work of someone who is thin and have a breathing disorder, which I would love to talk about that a little bit, because this is where I want to bring home the whole metabolic panel, perhaps, to sleep breathing disorder. And I'm going to call this sleep breathing disorder, but I don't believe that breathing disorder only happens at night. It's the worst condition to be 
breathing if you're dysfunctionally breathing. Because as I got explained in earlier, when you're standing upright, you compensate. You're aware, you're awake, you're able to correct that. But when you're sleeping in a supine posture, you can't do that anymore. So what happens is now you have to struggle, especially in children with underdeveloped faces, underdeveloped jaws, they're struggling to breathe. So when they're in a supine or in the, in a sleeping posture, they either have to sleep on their side or on their stomach, which will put more stress on their system with their mouth open, which is not the route of breathing. They're not getting that air filters through their nose. So their tonsils are getting enlarged. Their airway is getting even smaller. So instead of going to bed, like a phone that you put in the chart to get charged, they're struggling. They're not getting the full deep stage of sleep, hormones for growth, regulation of the metabolic effects, insulin regulations, hormone regulations, all that stuff happens in deep sleep. They're struggling. The RAM stage is affected. So what happens in rapid eye movement state of sleep is brain waves the, are higher. We have a lot higher brain activity and we have a paralysis, temporary paralysis stage. This is by design. So we don't act on the dreams. If you get into that twilight zone, and brain is hyperactive, emotional stability, learning. For children, a lot of their learning, closing those tabs, all this influx of information comes at them. That happens at the RAM stage of sleep. So if they have narrow airway, they have a more chance of collapsing in that stage. So instead of their brain getting the rest that it needs, can I? my example is if you have a cleaning crew that comes in to clean your house or your office at night, that's the RAM stage of sleep. The brain gets to put everything organized. And the sirens go out every five minutes. They have to leave. You can't clean. How does the office look like in the morning? Like a state of shambles, right? That's the brain of a child or an adult that did not get enough REM state of sleep because of constant arousal from disruption of their sleep because the airway is collapsing. And when a kid is not going through that stage, they're not sleeping well. They're not, their brain is not functioning well. They exhibit a lot of ADHD symptoms. They exhibit a lot of learning problems. They're not engaged in sports. They're not excited to go into school. They have misbehaviors. All of that is tied into the fact that they can't breathe and they're struggling to breathe while they're sleeping. And how wonderful would it be if we start looking at these children at a very young age and see those early signs in their mouth, no matter what the doctor is, it could be an MD, it could be an ENT. And instead of saying, well, let's just take out the tonsils, that's going to fix all the problems. The tonsils are actually a body organ and their job is to respond to immune in immune system that's hyperactive. Why are we cutting out a body part because it's doing its job? That's my only question. We shouldn't ask a better question. Why do we have enlarged tonsils to begin with? What's causing them to be enlarged? And the answer to that is a lot, but one of the main ones or one of the most biggest contributing factor is mouth breathing because the nose was meant for filtration, nitric oxide productions, humidification of the air before it hits the lungs. And when you're mouth breathing, because you have a narrow face under development of the sinuses and the nasal passages, which we explained earlier, that's going to expose those tonsils, tissues, and adenoid tissues to unfiltered air. And the kid that's mouth breathing and heavy breathing, those get larger and larger, and they will become a secondary obstruction of the airway. This is becoming an epidemic, Carrie. And this is where I really, I mean, as a mom, because my daughter is the reason why I started doing all of this. And I, as I told you guys earlier, I grew up in Iran. I did not have soft food. I was breastfed. I had all the advantages of growing my jaw. I have 32 teeth in my mouth. Both my children were born in this country and they both had breathing disorder, soft food, and they were both mouth breathing. I didn't know any of this. They had tongue tightness. When she was three years old, and her tonsils were so enlarged, narrow airway, snoring. She had ADHD symptoms and everything that we know to be a breathing disorder. I got dismissed by every single doctor I went to. The ENT, the orthodontist, pediatrician every year, two ENTs, both of them sent me home. And the sleep physician, finally at age five, when she was full-blown ADHD, finally ordered a lab test and she had apnea hypopnea index of 10. Now for those know what that is. Apnea and hypopnea is like biomarker of severity of sleep apnea. The number of times that either we stop breathing or airway is narrowed per hour is considered AHI score. For zero to five for an adult is normal, which I don't understand why, but for the sake of argument, we accept that. Five to 15 is mild and from then on. For children, one event is bad and she had 10. At that point, the only treatment that was recommended was take out the tonsils. No follow-ups. They never question how she breathed. She's still not sleeping well. She's still not doing well in school. And I'm just tired. 
this is a six-year-old about to go to seven to first grade and I'm not putting my child on medication. So here I am three years later, learning how to correct her breathing, train her tongue, correct her growth, putting her jaws in the right place. I have a brand new child. And my heart goes out to moms out there who don't have this information. They don't have the audacity and resources and ability to go find those information. And if they only knew that noisy breathing, if the child is eating and they're like, close your mouth now, you're a noisy eater. That child cannot breathe. That child needs help. And there is help. We can treat that child, help develop their mouth and help develop their airway, train their tongue. And it's never too late. The younger, the better but it's always best to treat the root cause of it and treat the underdevelopment and get their body back on functioning. Take the sympathetic upregulation out of it so that they're not systematically, their gut is not affected, their hormone system is not affected. So that child gets to grow and thrive. I mean, I see my kid, my children's friends come over and every single one of them, <laughs> posture, vertical faces are vertically growing, tongue thrusting. And part of me thinks, am I going to get in trouble if I start making conversations with the parents? Maybe I should send them a link to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to this. Hint, hint. Well, those children, the children who, people who are listening, those children, of course, then grow up to, into the adults with the same symptoms right? They're the ones who, they are still noisy breathers. They are still mouth breathers. They still snore. They have sleep apnea that they aren't dealing with. They have ADHD issues. They are tired. They have a lot of brain fog. As we said earlier, they're adapting, not realizing the root cause. Exactly. And where, in what the progression that's happened through life. Exactly. And you know what? In reductionistic allopathic medicine, there is a medicine for everything. Oh, you have ADHD symptoms. Here's a bunch of pills. You got low back pain. Okay, we have surgeries for that. You got large tonsils, let's amputate those tonsils or the deviated septum, or you've got gut issues. Here's a bunch of medications. Heartburn is a heartburn, silent GERD, especially in people that have obstructive apnea is a huge issue. And it can lead to long-term, can lead to esophageal cancer. Because if you, when you're having trouble, think of the airway from the nose to the lung like a tube. The harder, the, the narrower and the more collapsed the airway is during sleep, the harder we're trying to open it up, the more pressure is exerted to open up the airway. It's going to pull the acidic stomach upwards. And a lot of these folks have like children. My son had that and I didn't know it. Constantly like coughing and clearing their throat in the morning specialties because all that acidic content has been irritating the esophageal passage. And if we look at the whole body and connecting the dots the way I just did, and if they do exhibit the signs and symptoms, it's not difficult for the doctors, if there are any doctors that are listening to this, not difficult to look for the signs. If you're looking at the child's mouth and you see the mouth, the roof, the top of the mouth looking gothic, like high arch like this, and it's narrow. For dentists out there, just take it to cut and roll and stick it between the two first molars. And if it doesn't go there, that child does not have enough... At age six, they should have 35 millimeters between those two. And if that smaller mouth, and I've seen adults with 24 millimeters, like never had a chance to grow. And if you're listening to them breathing, just close one nostril and the other nostril and have them breathe in and out. And you will figure out. <laughs> There's me. There's me closing my nose. <laughs> audible breathing. If Again, taking a deep breath. And if you just pull on, tug on both sides of the ears, mouth closed, tug on both sides of the opening of the nose and not take breath. Feels better, right? It's why those strips work. Right. This test that I just showed you is called Cottle Maneuver. It was developed by Dr. Cottle. And it shows if you have a positive response to this test, meaning that if you're breathing, I instruct the patients to breathe a couple of times. And when I tug on this part of their nose and they have an improvement, that means they have it. That's a positive finding. That means they are not breathing 100% through their nose or they're not able to. Damn. <laughs> And that deviated septum, valve issues, narrowing of the valve of the nose, high arch in the palate. Again, it's the same real estate. Roof of the mouth, floor of the nose. If you have a palate that's high arch, you have a narrow face and narrow nose. So you can breathe nasally. So what are the treatments for that? I'm guessing at this point, everybody's itching to know. Oh, everyone's like, what do I do? Help me. <laughs> Bring on the drum rolls. So we know, like I said, in the skull, we have 22 bones. The two, well, in fact, four important ones that are in the mouth, the dentists have full control to treat is the roof. And that's really what it looks like. The little spot that I was telling you to put your tongue, 
the tip of the tongue, the spot is right here, right behind the front two teeth. And this part of the palate is called maxillus. We have two of them, one on the left and one on the right. You see there's a line that goes in the middle. This two are the palate from which the soft palate or the uvula in the back of the throat is hanging down. So first of all, when you're looking at someone's mouth and you cannot see that uvula or the back of the throat, that's a high risk for sleep apnea. So we call that a malampati score. Anesthesiologists use that score to decide if they have, to, when they want to, if, if the patient is in surgery, how difficult it would be to get the tube in their mouth if they're not able to breathe. And that score is what they, and they use. But we have a different score we use. Nonetheless, if you can't see back of the throat, if you cannot see part of the uvula, that's a high risk. So the high malampati three and four, large tonsils, redness at the back of the throat. It's always an indication that their sinuses are not draining properly through their nose. Grinding on the teeth, just sign of grinding all over the teeth. It's a telltale story. And when you're swallowing and opening your mouth, take a look at the shape of your tongue. If the tongue has indentation of the teeth in it, we call that scalloping, that's a sign of breathing disorder. That's also indication that the tongue is not properly being Position at the roof of the mouth, A, which basically means it's pushing against the teeth, and also it doesn't have enough room in the roof of the mouth, or it's not able to go there. Definitely a sign of breathing disorder. Also, the narrow arches we, we talked about. So the reason why I'm telling you about the signs, because they tell us what are the ways we can address this. Because if we know there's not enough room in the mouth, all we need is more room in the mouth and training the most important muscle in the mouth, which is the tongue, to do its job. Rest at the proper resting position. So the palate, the suture here, the belief was that after puberty, it fuses, that we're done. So common practice orthodontists used to give kids a palate expander to open up that suture and give them more room. The issue with that is not only that we're only growing the palate in one direction, which is left to right. It's not growing it in all the other dimensions. The, the bigger problem is they're not allowing the body to roll that suture and deposit bone in there. In that growth, it's almost like stretching that ligament. Every other day, and my son was in treatment, that's how I know, we have to crank that for about a quarter of a millimeter. The right therapy, first of all, should not be putting an apparatus. In my clinical experience, no apparatus should be permanently for six months to a year, especially during growth and development parked in the palate that would prevent the very important organ that's supposed to grow the face to not touch the palate, which is the tongue. So we should give the tongue a chance to do the job because at the end of the day, it was the tongue that was supposed to do it. So stimulating those sutures for growth, and we do have treatments for adults and children. With children, there's not that much we have to do differently. We just give them functional appliances that are pre-made and they wear those appliances during the day, putting those and exerting pressure with the muscles on the bone to grow their bone. And hard food is one of the best things. Chewing and hard food, training the tongue to move the food around, like I said, swallowing, chewing properly, but just hard food is what's going to grow the face. So some of the appliances that are now being prescribed, and I've done so many of them in children, is positioning the lower jaw in a better posture, but also developing the muscles in the face to grow the bone. So that's the first thing. But also if they are past the age of let's say 14 or 15. And usually my children that are puberty or close to puberty, I use an appliance that would activate those sutures and allow them to grow. But I don't want that appliance to sit in their mouth all the time. I want them to have the chance to wear it 12 hours and have it out of their mouth for 12 hours and train the tongue, have them breathe properly, rest the tongue at the posture properly at the roof of the mouth and reset their nervous system. I think what's really the key factor in treating the sleep breathing disorders is training the tongue and creating the room for it. It's almost like your body doesn't have to compensate. And the younger they are, the quicker they respond. They don't have that forward head posture. They're not just, their rib cage is not so in crunched space because their head is sitting in here and their spine is more concerned about supporting the head. Now they are using their chest to breathe because the lung can expand. So the children's body won't have to compensate if it didn't need to. Adults, unfortunately, like you said, they've learned to adapt. They have their bodies have gone through so much more of that, those changes. So they have more reverse engineering to be done. It still can be done. But the younger we catch these patients, the younger they are. I will take two and four-year-olds all day long because they haven't even have a first smother in their mouth, Gary. I mean, we're creating room and allowing those wisdom tooth to come in rather than wait until they get stuck because their mouth didn't go forward and remove them. I mean, for the last 200 years, modernization of our life, 
has had one result. We our faces are shrinking and vertically growing, and we're not our faces not coming forward. So all of those air passages, sinuses, they're staying small. And it's not without a cost. It's coming with a huge, huge cost. Breathing disorder leads to a host of metabolic conditions. Sleep breathing disorder leads to a host of chronic conditions, diabetes, high blood pressure, risk of stroke, even Alzheimer's. We know that metabolic waste removal happens during deep state of sleep. When you're not getting a deep state sleep, body's not reading of the toxins. And that leads to hemoglobin sensitivity to oxygen, CO2 tox- you know, level changes, pH level changes. Mouth breathing is probably one of the most prevalent conditions of this generation. And if it's not addressed, unfortunately, we're looking at, like you said, a common condition. Oh yeah, that's, no, my kids are on the same medications. My kids are getting the same braces. Common, yeah. Normal, no. I think, yeah, this is pretty much why I get to be bold about it and say, we were wrong. We got it. We were taught wrong. I was one, came out of dental school, not knowing anything. And for 10 years, I didn't know differently until I was opened up to it. And when I saw this site, it's one of those things as a doctor, when you see it, it's hard not to see it. And here I am showing up on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Which I love. And I want to go back to the breathing, the dysfunctional breathing, especially in adults, because when you've been saying, obviously, it's a whole lot easier to fix in the two and four-year-olds leading up to puberty. But when you have that... 35, 45, 55, even 65-year-old person who has been compensating for a long time. They've finally been diagnosed with sleep apnea. Their posture's a mess. They're looking down at their phone all the time. Their head is forward because they work on their computer from home. You had mentioned posture is part of the therapy earlier. So can you talk about that for everyone who has suddenly straightened up as they're listening to this and like pulled their head back? And, uh... Yeah. Well, here's what I say. We call this a top to bottom or bottom to top problem because ergonomics are certainly a problem. We're all just converging into the screens. We're living within walls of our homes. I call them sensory deprivation chambers because God gave us 30 degree of lordosis in our neck and 30 degree of rotation and lateral movement in our head. Why? So we are outside seeing the horizons and our ears and eyes and even sensation on our skin is getting information from everywhere where we are in three dimensions so we can propel and move. But when you're not getting that, we're within walls and your sights and your hearing is not developing. This conversion is causing underdevelopment. Like I said, we're just barely touching the surface with this. Nonetheless, if we are thinking, was it really ergonomic or is it underdevelopment of the jaws and airway? Well, I have a challenge for everyone. Go ahead and pull your shoulders back. Tuck your shoulders back over here. Okay. And what I have you do is tuck your chin back in here. Now I'm going to have you put your tongue at the roof of your mouth and try to breathe. If you have trouble breathing in this position, then I'm going to bet you have an underdeveloped airway. Most people, when they put their head over here, they can't breathe. Their head pushed them forward. And that's the compensation that we cannot do when we're sleeping. That's why breathing disorders, forward head posture leads to problems in there. And that's the postural component to it. So do we fix the airway in the mouth and not address the postural component? Again, in a child, hardly ever I need to resort to a chiropractor or physical medicine. I still need to teach them how to breathe because their diaphragm and activating and expanding the lung and those alveolas like like a balloon, pulling them and just opening them up because mouth breathers can only, they're using their chest and their neck to breathe, right? With the nasal breathing, with the tongue properly positioned at the roof of the mouth, they're able to descend the diaphragm and get the air to more of those long real estates. So if you're comparing an asthmatic, which most asthmatic are mouth breathers and someone that's not asthmatic, the asthmatics are not using a lot of their lung. And parts of the lung that does not get air exchanged is exposed to mucus and mucus retention and asthma. We know that that's part of the same disorder. So could a mouth breathing lead to asthma? I mean, a lot of people would want to argue with me about that, but I know Dr. Buteco in the 1930s already proved that we can cure asthma if we can make people nasal breathing properly. They can extend and open those smooth muscles in the lung and get the alveolas to recoil back to exhale the air out And that proper exhalation is going to put the body into its sympathetic mode. 
But we don't have that when we are mouth breathing. You're not getting a lot of your lung expanded. So the volume of the air that gets exchanged is not a lot, which when you're listening to people that are mouth breathing, you're shallow breathers. I'm taking a deep breath. And the whole mouth breathing basically is using the front portion of the diaphragm attached to the ribcage, not the lumbar portion that's attached, portion of the diaphragm that's attached to the bottom of the spine. And the importance of that is the whole sympathetic parasympathetic Using your chest to breathe, you're sympathetically breathing. When you're using the lumbar spine, belly breathing with the nose, from nose to the belly, that's parasympathetic. That's the difference. And we know autonomic nervous system is governing the whole body. So just by breathing dysfunctionally because your mouth is underdeveloped, because your tongue is not postured properly, we're basically paying a huge due with all the sympathetic activation and everything that comes with a low-grade sympathetic, which you know it better than I do. All the neurotransmitters, all the signals that get activated when you're in a sympathetic mode, they are in fact working when your child is sitting there with their mouth propped open. And I'm hoping that I can just engrave this in the brain of parents who just want to go out and help and just at least Google it. How can I help with mouth breathings? Oral my functional therapy and treating the, and, and teaching these children to use their nose. Sometimes it just have a low tongue posture and a lot of them, allergies is another one. Puffy nose, milk allergies, mold allergies. We're living in air-conditioned homes and are not outside. So anything that will block the nose, either from an underdevelopment or from a mucus standpoint, from an inflammation standpoint of the tonsils and adenoids, they can block up the airway. And when you cannot get the air passively from the nose, you're pushed into the sympathetic mode. Really, that's just that simple. If you want to reverse engineer that, the question is, which one is it? Do they have a physiological condition that's leading to inflammation? Do they have an underdevelopment of actual obstruction from an orthopedic standpoint? Is it a narrow hallway or is it a hallway that's narrow or normal size, but it's packed with boxes? Either way, you can't pass through, right? So how do we fix that? I mean, a lot of people think if I have snoring and apnea, my only option is to get CPAP. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's common, right? I've got news for you guys and I'm treating patients every single day. That is not true. We have other options. First of all, the mandibular advancement oral appliance therapies have been used in the last 10, 15, 20 years, successful by dentists, but it's still a band-aid. It's still a clutch. It basically positions the lower jaw and the tongue in a forward posture to clear the airway. Does it treat the root cause of breathing disorder? And the answer is no. Just like everything else reductionistically, we're treating you at the symptoms because they're outside of your symptoms, there's other systems that are not functioning and leading to the problem. And we're trying to keep you symptom-free in this area. Well, body doesn't work that way. And what I've done the last two years, which is stunningly, I'm surprised how many people completely resolve and don't need a CPAP, don't need a mad device. Their tongue is their retainer and they're breathing properly and they don't need any other help by just growing their mouth. And this treatment can be done for adults. We're not completely, our sutures in our mouth is not completely fused. As a matter of fact, every 200 seconds, the bones in our head with our breathing move, the bones move. But we have to train and we have to promote that growth and open up those sutures and allow the tongue to push the face in a forward direction, allowing the lower jaw to come forward. So those treatments are available for adults as much as it is for children. Now, just like diabetes, just like cholesterol or any conditions, if you are catching a disease and it's disease at an early stage when body's metabolic, orthopedic, neurological dues haven't been paid too much, and the body hasn't fallen apart too much, we can repair, we can reverse, we can bring them back to homeostasis. It's The problem is we wait until they have already fallen apart. Their cervical spine is fused now because of that lumbar posture that they have, the forward head posture they've had, and their teeth are grinded down. They have sometimes irreversible metabolic conditions that are being adapted to. Like I said, one system doesn't work, body employs four other to fix it. And if you're only addressing one aspect of the health and leaving the rest under the table, we're basically not giving our patients a chance to be healthy. Healthy and highly medicated are not the same thing to me. We have a disease management system, and then we have a health creation and a homeostasis. And those two do not go into the same category. They're not. We call allopathic medicine. It's great. It's great for patients that are at the end stage. When you're on the floor and needing a CPR, that is a good time for allopathic 
It's dead or no dead. Bring it back to life. But maintaining someone on 10 different lines of medications and, and machinery for the rest of their life, that's not quality of life. And we're not allowing the body to heal itself. So I'm a huge believer that doctors should be healer. This is where I'm at. Yep. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, the next question people are going to have is where do I learn more? How do I learn more from you? Where can they find you? Tell us all the things as we wrap up this podcast, because this has just been so amazingly fascinating. Thank you. Absolutely. Actually, I'm going to make my email available, airwayarc at gmail.com. Spell that. Airwayarc, A-R-C, that stands for airwayarchitect at gmail.com. And I actually have a YouTube channel right now and I've posted a lot of videos and I sent you, but I'm planning to post more videos. And if there are patients or any potential viewers here that have questions and I want to reach out to me, they can email me. And I'm super excited to actually bring information to people and give them access to wherever they are to go and see the right provider. Because if I hear there's a child out there that's at the search of getting their tonsils out and we save that child from getting a tonsillectomy, I think this was well worth our time. <laughs> I love it. And tell people your YouTube. Actually, it's Dr. Bahar Esmaili. It's my first and last name. So I haven't changed that one yet. So as of now, Dr. Bahar Esmaili, you can look up and I have a lot of information in there. My daughter has got a lot of videos for children out there talking about how their posture and breathing is all affected. I think some of the parents will get a kick out of it. Amazing. But if there's any information that they want to learn more about, shoot me an email. Either I'll have the answer or I'll definitely find the answer for them. I love that. And we will put her YouTube link in the show notes so people know how to spell your name. Dr. Bahar, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the Root Cause Medicine podcast today. I think you have blown the minds of a lot of people and really, really educated them on a really important topic that people are just living with or watching their children live with and getting told it's normal. And of course, it's not normal and it's going to probably lead to worse things down the future. And I love that you're here to educate and be on the forefront of it. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was fabulous. And I'm hoping that I brought some information that was useful for your viewers. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>